Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Go to our website, take a look, christ-life.org. Warren Litzman is in the middle of teaching us the foundations of the Christ Life Living the In Christ message. We're so happy to be able to have gone to the archives to bring you this set of foundation studies. We're going to get right into it. Here's Warren. It's your fifth freedom. It hinges on 2 Corinthians 5 and 16. We know no man after the flesh, not even Jesus. Some of the people in our fellowship that we pray about and talk about who have done awful things, need to be in this fold and in our fellowship as if we knew nothing about them. Our children need to be dealt with as if we know nothing about what it is they've done. That we see no man after the flesh. What is the flesh? That's what he does in his body. That's what he does when a mind is given to his flesh. We know no man after the flesh. Oh, but the scripture says this, brother, and the law says this. You've got to make your mind up whether Christ is to be all or the law. Because our text says that if Christ isn't all, then you better keep all the law. And that's not going to save you, but he says, you're stick torn, you're stereotype, you're a lawyer, so keep it all. Keep it all. Be honest with yourself. Keep it all. You're going to love your own when they're wrong, then love others wrong when they're wrong. Love others who are wrong. If you're going to love the Baptist neighbor, love the beer-drinking neighbor. Why? We see no man after the flesh. I see, that's hard to do. But what you don't realize is if you get freed from the law and circumcision, you're doing your own thing, You've got a freedom you never had before. I don't have to sit here and argue which neighbor is the best. I don't have to argue who my brother is. I just love him. But you see, another thing is, we've never been able to love with God's love. We haven't come to the freedom of loving with God's love. What we think is love now is that I must be connected with them, I must run with them, I must walk with them, and I must give them things. And, and if I can't love them all the way, I won't love them at all. That really isn't what he's saying. Jesus wanted to love the Jews, and he did by dying for them on Calvary. But it wasn't buying them little gifts and doing things and having rapport with them that was important. I've got to love people I never have a rapport with. I've got to have love for people who despitefully use me. I must love people who don't agree with me. That's hard to do. That's what we're growing to in this fellowship. That's a freedom we have. That's not a an awful bondage. That's a freedom. I'm free now to love everybody because this is me doing it. Jesus. I was taught by the first pastor who ever made an impact on me as a young man. He said this. He said, your enemy today in the church may be your friend tomorrow. And your friend today may be your enemy tomorrow. Try not to separate them. And you know he was right. 
he pastored there in my home church for 40 years or so. And in our town, enemies and friends were like in a revolving door <laughs> with him. They hated him one year, and the next year they were back in his church. And I watched this going on. I watched people who said I wouldn't set foot under his ministry again. Five years later, they were all going to the church and were deacons in the church. I learned something from him about love, to not draw the line on it. That's a freedom we have. That's a glorious freedom we've been brought to, to be able to love everybody. Listen, you're going to get criticized. We're only coming to a point now where God's really making an impact in life. This, this catastrophe we've had with this young lady is going to be a marvelous thing because I sense out of it's going to come a glory we've never had in this fellowship. I prayed to God for two years there'd be some kind of break around here, and I think it's coming. I think I pray to God that out of what's happened at Conroe this weekend will be a great breaking there, and God will begin to do things. You see, out of the negative comes the force whereby God can do something. Sometimes we sit around and pray, no trouble, Lord, let it all move smoothly. But we've got to have the negative joined to the positive before we ever have any force. Let's pray to God there's going to be some force now. Things are going to break. Things are going to open up. Why? Because I can afford to love. It doesn't cost me. He paid for it. He does it. I'm just a vessel he uses. Sixth freedom we have. The sixth freedom is that I can be a son without any condemnation. Romans 8 and 1. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. The ugliest sign of circumcision, self-effort in a believer is when the believer is condemned. I failed. I didn't do right. I should have done this. I should have done that. What you say by that is that if I'd have done it, I can make Jesus right. And when I didn't do it, I made Jesus wrong. You don't make him by anything you do. He's the gift of God in you. And that's why Paul says there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you the greatest truth I've learned and still operate by. If I do wrong, it's good. Often when I think I do good, it's wrong. What it amounts to is simply this. Whether I do or don't do, whether I abound or am abased, I can say with Paul, I have learned. I've learned. So it isn't bad at all. That's why he says, if you're in Christ Jesus and you even do wrong, it isn't bad. Why? You learn from it. Why are you still on earth to grow up in him? We're always growing. But it's when we heap condemnation and guilt upon us that we get out of proportion. And we struggle. And we start saying, I should have done this, I should have done that, as if 
what we do makes him us. Has nothing to do with it. He's been birthing. Whether that child does right or wrong, the father has birthed his seed in that child. And that child has the potential of being what that father is. Whether he does it or not, he has that potential ever there. So I have the freedom now to be a son. I was raised in a religion that says you're only a child of God if you follow the rule. You're only a son of God if you obey. And God knows nobody believes that obedience is more important than I do. But that doesn't make you a son. Even though Hebrews 5 and 8, even though he were the what? Son. Yet he learned obedience. Obedience is a learning process. Doesn't make you a son. Writer Hebrews plainly said, he's a son, period. But even though he is a son, he'll still learn obedience. Isn't that good news? Because religion would say, oh, they're not in the fold anymore. They're not one of us anymore. Not with us anymore. I have the freedom now to be a son. I'm not going to walk right all the time. I'm not going to obey all the time. I'm not going to be what everybody wants me to be all the time. But I have come to the freedom of being a son. Because me doing right or doing bad has nothing to do with me being birthed a son. That was something a father did. And every father who birthed his child never asked the child if he can do it. There's not a one of your parents that ever asked you about bringing you into the world. They just did it. So that's what you are. That's what you are. And that's who you are. Now why don't you rest in it? That's a freedom I have. I have that freedom. I'm not going to vacillate anymore between right and wrong making me a son or not a son. Somebody says, well, you sure do preach eternal security. No, I'm preaching sonship. I'm preaching the birthing. If you see your birthing, that's what you are. If you see religion, then you'll never know for sure who you are. But I know because it has been birthed in me, that's what I am. And you won't lose me from that. I'm free to be a son. Thoughts of prayer have been on my mind here lately. Praying. I'm so thrilled when I hear you talk about praying. I'm never, never going to organize you into a prayer clock, a prayer chain. Because I wouldn't dare suggest to you that us doing that is going to make you a son. Because for years when I pastored, I said, folks, if you don't do this, you really don't love God enough. What I was really suggesting, you're not who you say you are if you don't do this. You are who you say you are regardless. You just may not live it. But I'm thrilled when I hear you talk about praying. Because you see, I believe when you're walking as Him, when you get up in the morning and say, this is Christ going to work. 
Even though in your past thinking you don't believe that, but you go ahead and say it, because that's the way it is. Say, well, I just don't feel like it's Christ doing it. Well, I'll ask you something you don't feel. I'm German, and I've got to honestly tell you, that's my birthing in the flesh. But I have never known what it meant to feel like a German. <laughs> now, I'm told Germans are mean, hard, callous, dictatorial. Not lazy. Huh? Yeah, lazy. Okay, not lazy. That's good. But <laughs> thanks. I needed that. I needed that. She said that's the only good thing about him. Hey, man. Don, are you German? No, you're not German. You couldn't be. She wouldn't be saying that about you. So you see, I've never known what it meant to feel like a German other than what somebody told me. There is no such thing as a German instinct or a German spirit. The only way I could know what a German is is by living with my father and mother. And by their living, me take on the ways of my parents. How would you ever know you were a son of God? There's no instinct. How do you know you're a son of God? We were all born again. And went years before we ever knew there was a person within us. We just thought that was something we did. And it worked if we were religious. We didn't know the son was in There he was all the time and we didn't know it. What is the instinct of a son of God? Why? It's living as that. I tell you, Christ is in you. So get up in the morning, even though you don't have the instinct and the feeling and all of that, get up in the morning and say, here goes Jesus in the human form of Barbara or Ida or Don. Here goes Jesus in this human form. You say, well, I don't feel that. That's why some of us are in trouble right now. We go by trying to feel that that's what we are. You say, well, I'm not going to lie about it. I don't feel like I'm you. Well, you don't feel like you're Irish or German or Scotch or... There's a Mexican back there, a Mexican. <laughs> you don't feel that. That's something you know by having been trained. Because you can take a little Mexican baby and raise it in a German home, and the baby will never know it's Mexican. What am I saying? Beloved, now, in O.W., John said, now we are the sons of God. It's not a feeling you have, but it's something you learn. You learn that by obedience. God says you're a son. So you get up in the morning and you say, here goes the son. Here goes the son. Everywhere I go today, it's the son. Everything I say today, it's the son. Somebody's always saying to me, well, they're going to be sinners. Not if they know they're a son. Not if they know their son. You're not going to lie, cheat, curse, drink, swear. You're not going to do those things if you know you're a son. You're going to sit down to your desk to do your office work, and it's going to well up within you. Here goes the son doing this work, and suddenly his wisdom will begin to flow. You glory in who you are. That's something you learn. To learn it. You've got to learn it. Even though he were a son, he learned obedience. How? By the faith which he suffered. you got to learn that. I've said it to you 
but you didn't learn it. It's like telling a child two and two is four, but it's going to be a time yet before they learn it. Some of them don't learn it until they're in the 10th grade. You've got to learn that you're a son of God. You're free. You're free to be that. Don't say, well, I didn't act like it, so I'm not a son. You're a son whether you act like it or not. You just haven't learned obedience. So it'll come. This freedom will come. But I was really talking about prayer. When you walk around as a son, you're a constant communication to the Father. I'm not going to raise up another body of people that are condemned because they didn't pray and read their Bible. I did that once. I raised up a whole group of people who, if they didn't pray and read their Bibles every day, they, they're never going to be a son. And one day the Spirit said, how'd they get to be a son? By praying and reading the Bible? No, they were born again. Well, then drop the rest of it. They're already sons. Start telling them now they'll learn obedience. <laughs> because they are sons. You're free to be that son. If you fail, it makes a lot of difference. If you as a son says, Father, I sure goofed, I failed. You're free to be that son. Go ahead and be it. You're free to be who you were birthed to be. So your whole life, a communication with the Father. Everything you do is a communication when you walk as a son in your liberty. You get into a, an ordeal with somebody, you're the son in that ordeal. Maybe you won't be very good. Maybe you'll cuss and rant and rave and then have to go back later and ask them forgiveness. But you're learning. That didn't stop you from being a son. Still a son. You learn. You suffered by that. But by that suffering you learn. So your whole life is a life of prayer. I don't know if I told you about Bob, uh, Bob, Bob Weinberger. He's pastor of the church where we have the institute in Salem. And our institute in Salem this month moves to Portland, to bigger quarters. It's a fast-growing institute, really growing, reaching. Blessed group of people you've got to get to know. They're so far from you, but you've got to get to know the folks in Portland. And so we move from Salem now to Portland. He's a pastor in Salem, and he's 100% for this move because he's more given to this message than he is his church. He's told me that several times, that if this message ever needs him, he will leave the church immediately and be what it is we want him to be. And he says, until then, I'll sit and learn. He's a blessed brother, but he went down to, to Venezuela to one of his friends that has a Bible college down there to speak at Special Emphasis Week. And uh, while he was there, a young woman came up to him and she said, I'm so frustrated, I'm ready to quit the school and go home and quit God and everything. He said, what in the world is wrong? She said, I can't keep the pace. She said, they drill it into us. We have to pray so long and read so many chapters every day. And she said, I can't hack it anymore. I've done all I could. I've gone as far as I can go. And she said, I'm just ready to quit. And Bob remembered our teaching. He said, I looked at her and I said, praise God. That's good news. Well, she like fell out of her chair because she didn't think the special speaker dare say that. He said, that's good. Set your Bible aside. Quit your praying. He said, you bound yourself into believing you were becoming what they said you were by doing these things, and you wore yourself out. So he said, let me tell you, you're already a child of God. And doing those things didn't make it or break it. So he said, just set them aside 
And he said, I promise you in a few hours or a few days, the love that is within you will reach out for these things again. You're free to be a son. You'll never be free to be a Baptist, and I say that in love, because they can't run Baptist without a law. You'll never be free to be a of God, because they can't run the assembly of God without a law. You'll never be free to be a Catholic, because Catholicism won't work without a law. Are you listening to me? I'm saying this in love, but you've got to hear me. You'll never be free to be a charismatic, because a charismatic can't operate the program without law without law. So I'm here to tell you, your sixth freedom is that you're already a son. Be that. Be that. And then if you want to join with someone in fellowship, join with them as a son. But never take the pill again that you've got to do what we do to be who you are. You're free now to be a son. And so I want to say to every one of you that hurts here today, Every family that's going through a turmoil, that's got pain and suffering, that's good. That's good because it's to show you that you're free now to be a son, that you don't have to do or not do, be or not be. We're freed from Shakespeare. He said to be or not to be. That's the question. I never have to say that again because one day at an altar I made myself on a concrete step there was birthed in me another person. I've been born again. Now sooner or later I've got to get it in my hip. That's where my freedom is. I'm free to be that. I'm not going to fit in with others. I'm going to have a hard time fitting in with them for a while. Because I'm set against that law that says circumcision makes Jesus real. I'm set against it. Because I hear Paul say circumcision makes Christ of no avail. And that's where I've lived most of my life. You say, well, what if somebody lives like the devil? Preach the word to them. What if somebody uses a license to sin? Preach the word to them. Well, what if they just keep on doing it? Preach the word to them. Because if the word does not renew the mind, there's no law that's going to do it. Why put them back under a law that separates them from Jesus? Our seven freedom. You've got to have seven of everything. We've got seven freedoms in the Christ life. The seventh freedom, you're free to be Christ as you in this world. You're free to be your real self. And your real self is Christ as you. You're free to be that. Somebody says, well, does it mean that Jesus is going to get mad? Jesus is going to get angry? Jesus is going to get upset? Your mind given to Jesus will determine your actions. Now you're free to be yourself. You're not going to be pretty all the time. Religion has dressed Jesus up into a very beautiful package. And to show you that God never intended that Jesus be a beautiful thing, we have the very hard writings of Isaiah in his 
53rd chapter where he says that Christ is as a tender plant, a tender root out of dry ground. You ever see a root out of dry ground, a straggly looking thing? Doesn't fit at all. A root out of dry ground is an impossible situation. But that's what Jesus is. Now notice how God by the Holy Spirit let Jesus be described. There was no beauty about him. That should any man see him, they would not desire him. Well, that's not the Jesus you hear faith preachers preaching about. They say, well, he was head and shoulders, a great man. He was great physique. He was a great, powerful person. Somebody told me the other day up in uh, Oregon that, uh, that a preacher had been preaching to them that uh, Jesus was the richest carpenter in Galilee. <laughs> they had to fit him into the prosperity message, so they made him a wealthy, rich carpenter. That's kind of contrary to what the Scripture said. He used the connotation of being a carpenter a few times in his messages and parables, but he sure was a poor fellow. He never had richness in his life of himself. The only time he had anything prosperous was when they buried him in a rich man's tomb he never had anything prosperous in his life. Foxes had holes, birds had nests, he had no place to lay his head. But that's what we want Jesus to be. We want him to be big, famous, and great. That's what the world is wanting Christ in you to be. And he's not that. He's at the root out of dry ground. There's no beauty about him that any man would desire him. And when we would see him, we would turn, as it were, our heads from him. It's Paul saying in Philippians 2 that he made himself of no popularity, no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. Why am I saying this? Because that's the Jesus that's going to come out of you as you are sometimes. No beauty about him. You say, well, did Jesus get angry? No, it was you in your mind operating as him that was angry. It was a mind thing. <laughs> Where are we learning obedience? In our mind. So if Jesus doesn't come out of us pretty, still Jesus. Because that's the only life we have. But notice this, as you grow up in him, as you come to know him and see him, you lay aside all those things that are unpleasing to him because his word fills your mind. He who stole steals no more. He who lies, lies no more. He who uh, profanes and curses, curses no more. He who degrades and blasphemes doesn't do it anymore. Why? He learns by the experiences and he grows up in him. I'm free to be who I am. I will never rebuke you for being who you are. I won't rebuke somebody for attempting their life. I won't rebuke somebody who miserably fails me. Nothing angers me more than somebody who creates a rumor 
or gossip. That's the meanest thing I've ever known in religion. But I won't come to you and rebuke you for it. I'll preach the gospel and let you know how I feel about it. But what I'll do is encourage you to be who you are because you're free to be that. That's what you're free to be. And I'm going to tell you something else. If you don't walk with me and you're not interested in the Christ life, wherever you go, you're still Him in your farm. Yep. You can go back to the Catholic Church. You can go to a Baptist Church. You can go to a Charismatic Church. You can go over here and over there. But wherever you go, you're still Him as you. Because the only way He's going to get out of you is like you are. He comes out sweet on Sundays and sour on Mondays. That's who you are by Him. Now, that's hard to get a hold of. But that's what you're beginning to see. It's Christ in you as you, and you're free to be who you are. I don't expect people in this fellowship at this juncture of the walk to be perfect. I don't expect you to know all about it. I really look in most lives, even those who are most vocal and say they know, I look for them to go entirely opposite. Or rather than look for them, I am not defeated if they go opposite. I've had several young men who've walked with me in these last few years who've gone the opposite way. I looked at every one of them when they said, this is what I'm going to do. They thought I'd be hurt. My first reaction was, friend, you've got to do this. You don't know him yet. And you've got to go this direction. My prayer is for you that you'll see Jesus in all that you do because that's all you are is Christ. That's the only life you have. So whether you want to acknowledge it and live it and walk with me is unimportant. That's still all you are. You're free. We're free to be that, thank God. I'm free to be who I am in Christ. And if I'm not what you think I ought to be or what religion says I ought to be or what the Scriptures say I ought to be, I expect you to see Jesus in me. Somebody comes to you and says, Oh, do you know the awful thing Lichman did? Did you know what he did 20 years ago? Do you know what he did before he got saved? You know what I want you to say to them? I don't see anything but Jesus in him. You know why? Because I'm free to be who I am now. And so are you. That's your seventh freedom. That's not an excuse to be lethargic and indifferent, to keep on living slipshod, haphazard, but it means when you do fail and when you are wrong and when things don't go right. It doesn't mean Jesus did it, but it meant you as Christ. You are interpreting Christ in that situation that way, and you're free to do that. doesn't mean you cease to be a son. doesn't mean God took his hand off of you. You're free to be that. And I've got to say something else while I'm near the subject, and that is because you are a son of God, men and women, that's your entirety, your all. He's your all. You don't need one other blessed soul over you. You don't need me over you. You're free to be Him in your farm. And I say that because I go a lot of places these days and somebody will come to me and say, Litzman, who is your covering? I say, Jesus. No, we don't mean that. Who is your covering? I say, I mean it, Jesus. Well, aren't you under some preacher? Aren't you under some group? When I'm around you, I'm under less. 
because he's my he's my elder in the Lord and I honor him as that. I'll always do that less to you because I'm so proud of you. No, I'm not under anybody except him who is my life. He's my covering. The fellow said to me the other day, well, who's the apostle in this group? I said, Christ. No, who really is the, doing the work of the apostle? I said, Jesus. Well, I mean, doesn't somebody say they're that? I said, yeah, I hear little women say it every once in a while. They don't know it, but the apostle Jesus comes right through them. Well, isn't there a prophet in this group? Sure is. Every once in a while, it could be any one of you. Jesus the prophet manifesting himself through you. But we don't have an office. We don't have a door. We don't have a tag that says this. Because Christ is our all. He's, he's our everything. You're free to be him. That's what God did when he made us sons of God. We are free to be who we are right now by Christ. I've had preachers to come to me and say, Well, I see things in this fellowship I don't like. Oh, I agree with them right off. You know I do too. But what's that got to do with anything? Well, you just can't fellowship with everybody. Oh, I said, draw the line there. I see a lot of things I don't like, but that don't have anything to do with fellowship. Well, you just can't run with anybody. I said, I don't. He does. <laughs> Tim, not me. Tim. We're free. We have seven glorious freedoms that have been given to us that separate us from a law that says if you use it in the least bit, Christ is of no avail and you've got to keep the whole law. Now, are you ready for that? Now, I've got to tell you the hardest part of this message. It's this. The keeping of the law on our part is so subtle and deceitful we do it and don't know we do it. tell you how subtle it is for us to keep the law. Somebody wants to stand up here before you and say, folks, you know, I've been totally against this thing, but God's really gotten hold of me, and I confess to you, I've been wrong, and I want all of you to forgive me if a one of us was to take that message and say, bless God, I knew it'd have to do that sooner or later. We would have manifested a law. We'll stop here, but pick up next time as Warren Litzman continues to lay out the foundation, the foundation of the In Christ, Christ Life Studies. So important and so interesting, too. We'd like for you to visit our website, christ-life.org. You know, you can start your own in-home church. All you need is one or two people or as many as you like. And we'll tell you how to do it from our website. It's absolutely free. We give you all of the materials you need. Go visit us at christ-life.org and read all about us. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes, and Teresa Ferraro is the producer of this broadcast every week from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.